0: The 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast, hosted by 360 Energy. On today's podcast episode, we have two guests from GeoSource to discuss geoexchange and what's needed to get to net zero. We welcome back Darren Hagen. As development manager, much of Darren's work at GeoSource has focused on technical and financial modeling of geoexchange projects. She assesses the value of geoexchange systems from a variety of stakeholder perspectives. With a degree in environmental engineering from the University of Waterloo, Darren has a strong understanding of the technical side of the energy space, but combines that with a passion for knowledge translation and relationship building. Through thoughtful communication and content development, Darren works to break down silos in the industry and facilitate candid discussion with the goal of collaboratively establishing an equitable and sustainable post-carbon carbon carbon future. We also welcome Daryl Chow, director and business development. Darrell's responsibilities include sales development, account management, marketing strategy, advocacy and stakeholder engagement, and overall corporate culture. Specializing in partnership development in the education and not-for-profit sector for over 20 years, Darrell worked to help the private sector partners develop strategic interactions to deepen their social accountabilities. He now spends his days championing GeoSource and helps to shine a light on GeoExchange technology what he truly believes to be a real game changer in the fight against climate change. A relentless agent for change, Daryl is driven to make our future cities more sustainable and livable for now and future generations. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome back, Dave, John, and Darren from GeoSource. Thank you for joining us again today.
1: Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here, with Sandra.
0: We also have a new guest from GeoSource this episode. Welcome, Daryl.
2: Thanks very much, Lysandra. John, Dave, pleasure to be here.
0: Well, Daryl and Darren, we're going to, I guess, uh, John and Dave, we're going to see you out. That's a better co-host name. So, Daryl, welcome. Are you able to give us a bit of your career background and what you do at GeoSource?
2: Absolutely, and thanks for asking. So, Prior to joining GeoSource two years ago, I spent much of my career specializing in developing corporate partnerships in the education and not-for-profit sector. In that capacity, I worked to help private sector partners develop strategic interactions to deepen their social accountabilities. So when I met Stan, the CEO of GeoSource, I realized that he he was the leading innovator in the geo exchange space and. The company possessed the technology to really affect or drive system change as a small privately owned company. So the opportunity to be a champion for GeoSource came up and it was really an opportunity to shine a light on the technology, which I truly believe to be a real game changer in the fight against climate change. So really that piqued my interest and that's how I found myself here today. In my current capacity as the director of business development, I had the opportunity to make our future cities more sustainable, more livable. And really working alongside an incredibly team of specialized engineers is really my chance to be an agent for change. So not just for now, but for our future generations.
1: Thanks for that, Daryl. Daryl and Darren, can you get us caught up on on where is the geo exchange market right now? We talked in the last podcast that it's, it's a technology that's been around for a long time. And we, I expect, I think we all expect that this, this market will, will start Really growing substantially, but can you give us an update where it is now, and how did it get to the point where we are now, and and going forward? If you could share what your vision is with that, sure, certainly. Thanks, Dave. So. The geo-exchange industry,
2: it's experienced a fair amount of volatility in the past few years due to various market forces, things like changing natural gas prices or policies that may come and go. Governments uh, come and go, their priorities change. But now we're seeing a major increase in demand. So largely due to what I would characterize as the, the, the global culture shift. So starting with the acceptance that climate change is real, and then seeing real commitment from global leaders and global corporate who are making real investments in the mitigating and adapting to climate change. So in the last two to three years in Ontario, the geo exchange industry has experienced renewed interest and demand from city builders, largely because of municipal building standards that are now recognizing and reflecting the need to shift to higher performance buildings and lower carbon em- emitting buildings.
3: I think, uh, you know, a great example of this, you know, more locally to us in Toronto is the Toronto Green Standard. It's an example of, of one of the, the top notch zero carbon development standards that are being rolled out at a municipal level. And they're essentially step codes. I know that there's a similar one in Vancouver as well, on the other side of the country. And I know that there's there's a number of them globally. But essentially, every four or five years or so, the the, the standards roll over into a higher, more stringent standard, requiring lower greenhouse gas emissions, lower energy use intensities, and thermal energy use intensities for new buildings. And so, ultimately, the the intent is to to slowly wean us down to to net zero um, by 2030 for new buildings, and and ultimately net zero for all buildings by 2050. And so we're seeing this put a lot of pressure on developers and, and a number of other building you know holders to explore low carbon solutions and ultimately commit to implementing and adopting low carbon solutions in their projects. And it's interesting because it's intended to be a bit of a, a slow wind up, I guess, but we're seeing a really, really strong shift right now as subject matter experts at GeoSource. We're being asked to deliver a lot more informational education sessions, like your lunch and learns about the efficacy of of geo exchanges, they're all kind of preparing. So we're seeing a a big shift now, even before ultimately net zero is required. So there's a lot of education happening right now. A lot of our our clients are interested in the technical, financial, commercial, legal considerations of these systems, how exactly they fit into the, the broader ecosystem. And so this has really indicated a strong shift in thinking just from understanding the need to moving towards how to implement the solution realistically.
1: You i know, I met Stan probably three years ago, and, and I think uh, there's been some change that has occurred over that past period, which kind of reinforces that there's a lot of interest in what is perceived as an opportunity. Can you share with us, the involvement of interest in your business and how that's changed and how that's manifest.
3: I,
2: I think we can touch on that briefly. So what, what has happened that the quantum shift and the transition that we're moving through right now is the, the participation in a joint partnership with Oakville Enterprise Corporation, so OEC, and they're really serving as our uh, utility partner. In this space as the municipal utility provider, they have a hundred year, uh, track record of customer service and client care. So we've chosen them as our partner to be the kind of the go-to backstop for our utility system offering.
4: Okay. My question to you is sort of doing a bit of future gazing and it's a bit of a compound question and it's what, and I'm not asking about GeoSource, asking about the sector, if you like the geo exchange market what kind of growth do you do you expect to see in this in the coming decades and and the sort of compound part of it is, is there the the skill set out there that's
2: going to be needed to support the growth that you're looking for absolutely so based on our our own education and awareness initiatives what we're seeing is that these interactions are resulting in the implementation of what we would call first projects with developers so just really that that first line of commitment where they're going to be implementing geo on, on, on a new development. So ultimately this leads to a level of comfort with the technology as such that it's, they, they've had a great experience. They understand how we work, how, how our construction schedule works, how that economic benefits kind of work in their favor. And now it's actually being considered as the basis of design for all projects moving forward, I would say. Additionally, like the increasing nudges from municipalities. So certain things like the declaration of climate emergencies, actions in the form of net zero building standards, the increased pickup by mass media featuring stories on geo exchange, all of that is kind of driving the interest and consideration to implement geo exchange. So I guess the short answer is we're expecting to see exponential growth.
4: Wow. That's, that's good to hear for you.
3: Yep. I might actually challenge that that characterization there, Daryl. I would argue that we might even be up against a more vertical growth pattern at this point. I think the implementation of those step those step uh, standards that we're seeing out of like the city of Toronto, the city of Vancouver, I think they're really pushing almost like a the a, a flipping of a switch for the most part. There's not even like a gradual increase point really. We're just seeing a a complete change, and it's it's wildly exciting. But I think the real benefit to GeoExchange in this space, that's, that's kind of allowing us to move so quickly on this, is that we touched on it in the past episode, but exchange is technology feasible, technologically feasible right now. Our company alone has spent you know, nearly two decades innovating in this space, and not to mention the work of our predecessors who have been you know, in this space for decades on top of that. And as more and more developers are seeing that this technology works, it's ultimately paving an economically favorable path forward, essentially lighting the way for the rest of the market to follow. So we're seeing, you know, massive, massive growth in the geo exchange space right now. And John, I really appreciate the compound part of this question because to be perfectly candid, we don't hear that question being asked very often. I think a lot of the time the focus is being put on how can we get people to implement geo? How can we convince them to do this? And given that we have such a short period of time to make this transition to net zero and and reducing our carbon emissions, we really need to be thinking ahead, especially because just the sheer scale of this infrastructure, it's relatively time dependent. So by the time we have 10 or 15 clients committed to doing geo on their next project, we're going to need to mobilize our, our 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 teams within a year. So it, it's there's a bit of a, a lag there. And so I think I, th- I think we're right now we're running the risk a little bit of getting caught without the the capacity to to construct these systems. We don't really have the time to wait for the demand for construction to be there. We have to think about what we're selling right now and, and start getting the market behind us and, and getting even beyond in the in the public sectors a little bit more collaboration, some more cohesion to getting that capacity built up
1: interesting answer thank you uh, darren you just nailed actually the next question and that is what are the type of challenges that your industry is facing i mean it sounds with the massive growth trying to keep up with it i'm interested to hear if you could share what you see as your challenges
2: yeah i'm I, if, if you don't mind i'm just going to jump in so the, the simple explanation in my view is it's it's scary to do something new. The biggest challenge is that GeoExchange is, is different to a lot of developers. And it really does challenge the status quo that business as usual assurance that has de-risked projects for developers for so many years. I mean, this, this is, this is we're at a reflection point where we really do have to step out of our skin and, and be courageous to try something new. Um, we're seeing this change fairly quickly, that those proverbial dominoes are starting to fall. For the early adopters, we want to just take a moment to, to say thanks to the early adopters. They they were the ones to, to be courageous and take that first leap of faith on choosing to implement geoexchange. They've proven to their peers that the, the solution, it it just works. So from our perspective, from GeoSource perspective, we're very lucky to be to be very busy at the moment, and we're no longer worried about the exceptions of GeoExchange as a technology, but rather we're now squarely focused on our readiness. So we need to prepare to meet that market demand head on.
3: Absolutely. And I would say right now, our, our core challenge really is to make sure that that our industry, as well as those, those tertiary stakeholders, like think your building side, mechanical engineers, municipal staff, architects, and and really anybody that has a hand in city building for that matter, we really need to know how to optimally implement geo-exchange writ large, not just on a project-by-project basis, but more systemically. So in, in general, I think we need to to commit to ensuring that we have that capacity and, and expertise to bring geo-exchange to the masses, because pretty soon I think we're going to have a, a, a sea of people ready to adopt it. So it's, it's just a matter of following that up. And, and I would argue that to some degree, this is out of our hands and the, our meaning the geo-exchange industry. We're doing all that we can uh, collectively to inform stakeholders on the what, the why, the how of geo exchange. But we also need stakeholders like all levels of government, higher education and training centers, advocacy groups to really start asking better, more complex questions. It's not just a matter of, of what are the benefits of geo? How can we get it in the ground? Like It really needs to be about how can we start molding some of our existing systems to support this, this wide-scale change. And realistically, we only have so much time to make this transition, and, and we really can't afford to wait until everybody is on board to, to start thinking about how to functionally get it done.
0: I am so what, curious, sorry, I'm just curious. When you approach a stakeholder, what is their general opinion on GeoExchange? Do you find that they're educated about it? Do you find that a lot of them are very beginner or new to this type of technology?
3: I would say it depends on the type of stakeholder that we're speaking to. And also, I would say regionally as well. If if we're talking to, I think, any, any given stakeholder in the greater Toronto area, the greater Toronto Ham- and Hamilton area, most of them have heard of GeoExchange. But I would say in more rural areas, more isolated areas, it's a little bit different. So there's there's a lot of challenges in terms of the level of, of expertise of any given stakeholder, but also where that stakeholder is, is located in the regional politics, probably as well, probably play a play a large role. So anytime I think we collectively as a company or even myself individually are approaching a stakeholder, it's we kind of have to, to really give it a think of okay, who are they? Where are they from? trying to try to kind of guess where they're at. And then ultimately it's a matter of asking of, okay, so what do you know and and what do you need from us? And then taking the conversation from there, because we have to meet them where they're at ultimately. And, And that's kind of a bit of a challenge right now, because there are so many people who are so well advanced in their understanding of this. And then there's people who they hear geothermal and they're like, really, really hot water. Like the the technological understanding isn't even there at that point. So it's, we're in this, this mixed bag of a space, I think that will continue to exist for the coming years. And I think it'll probably be three, four, five years maybe before we can kind of count on anybody that we talk to having a solid understanding of this.
1: I I think this is a common problem that we all face that are in the uh, energy industry is that most uh, consumers do not fully appreciate or accept or understand energy, energy usage, energy, truly costs. And they, because it's been so cheap in the past, they just take it for granted. So now there's there's the mass requirement of educating a variety of people from developers to consumers to contractors. And I know that's work that, that uh, we all have to do to advance. And we have to do it quickly if we want to move to this net zero. So what you just described is something we, we see all the time and and we're uh, hopeful with the discussions like you bring up today, we can advance that. So thank you for that,
0: Dave. I want to add to that point. I think before energy wasn't really anyone except the specialists' problems, but now when we start talking about net zero, different types of industries need to start making energy their problem. So I do think that's kind of where we're starting to bridge the gap. Is the the goal to net zero is now including energy and now requires people who have never thought about energy to almost be a specialist. and I think that's kind of where we are trying to bridge that gap. Absolutely.
4: Okay. My, my question, I was trying to think, it's, it's, it's what I'm going to call a consolidation question. And, and the reason I'm saying that is that is that you've touched on a number of aspects, as, as both in this podcast and the previous one. For example, mentioning the, the reinforcing of building codes and things like that. And so what I want to ask in this question is, is, I mean, clearly you're champions of the cause and you're working there. But if we look at the broader, should we say, provincial, federal, global stage, what kind of actions do you think would support a a better transition to uh, zero carbon technologies or low carbon technologies such as GI exchange?
3: It's a really great question. And I think that there's it's hard because there's really there's no one silver bullet. And I think with large systemic issues that are all over the place right now, I think that that's a common theme. But ultimately, I would say that we really need more cohesion among the powers that be and we need more long term thinking at various leadership levels. And I think or to maybe explain it as an example, it's a little bit more relevant to our industry right now it's it's very difficult for the average student to train for a career in geothermal drilling in Ontario. So I think on an engineering perspective on that technical side it's relatively easy. There's a number of civil, electrical, mechanical engineering programs that you can kind of kick off to to learn about how to design these systems, but geothermal drilling is a very specific trade and even amongst drilling technologies as well, it's very different in comparison to water well drilling. It's different than oil and gas drilling. In and of itself, it's it's quite niche. And ultimately there aren't many training centers equipped to offer it. I think Fleming College is a really great example up in Peterborough. They offer a, a broad drilling program that touches on some of those different kinds of drilling that I mentioned, but they had attempted to roll out a geothermal specific program, but there just wasn't enough interest to get, get the program running. And I would say now if you're a student and if you're considering which educational stream you're going to pursue, you're ultimately going to want to look for something where there there are ample jobs available. And I would say right now, we haven't quite gotten to that point where the construction of geothermal systems is where it needs to be. We're seeing that renewed interest. We're seeing education. We see that wave coming. but We just haven't hit that critical point of mass where there's a ton of jobs available the problem is a lot of these programs are a year or two years so by the time that we reach that that critical failure point where we we have all of these jobs available we have all of this this need for construction we're not going to have the, the the students or the, the the trainees to do it and so ultimately it's a bit of a catch-22 so the industry can't scale the way it needs to to attract the new recruits without enough trained rules already in the system to start getting the market where it needs to be and so i would say it's a It's an unfortunate or a great example of how we can't just rely on, quote unquote, the market to get us over that line. I would say we need more thoughtful and strategic intervention to really steer the market in the right direction before we reach that critical failure point.
2: Yeah, I mean, Darren said it best. From my perspective, I think to be really succinct about it, I think that what I see is the need for political will, the need to focus laser focused on capacity building and skills development requirements to have real clean alignment across all levels of government and the commitment to have and hold broader stakeholder engagement
0: well thank you both for your time today this leads me to my last question what is the biggest takeaway you can give our listeners from this episode we covered quite a few different things from the market where we expect the market to go, and then challenges in the industry as well as net zero.
2: Yeah, we're on the precipice. Climate change is is very real. At the time we recorded today, you know, COP26 is wrapping up, and we're constantly being reminded that it's critical for us to take the necessary steps to change that status quo. If if I wanted to to leave the listeners with something, be open to change, educate yourself, educate your teams. And talk to the specialists, you know, think, have courage, step out of your skin, have that courage, trust the science. And don't be afraid to ask the hard questions about how, and and really why things need to be different. We want to see people who have the confidence to act. And this is a collective effort. Like this is all a really big part of how our energy transition will happen. And I guess know that the cost of inaction kind of far outstrips the alternative.
3: I don't think I can even add anything to that. I think that Daryl summed it up better than I could have ever. Just being open to that change, I think is a really critical point. Just, just being open to learning more. I think moving beyond that natural gas is cheap argument. I think that's where a lot of people are getting stuck. So just being open to, to moving beyond that and, and asking the right questions. Yeah. And Daryl, you mentioned asking those big questions, but I
0: think even the the beginner questions are often where people are stuck on and don't want to seem like they have no clue about something. So they just never ask questions in general. I think what my biggest takeaway from both of these episodes with GeoSource is asking questions in general will get you a long way, especially with this new technology. So thanks again, Darren and Daryl, for joining us today. Dave and John, any final comments?
4: Yeah, I, I've got one, and it was interesting. There was the, the sort of comment about people adopting geoexchange, and I scribbled a note down, and I put in quotation marks, conservative engineers, with with a small c. And I think I'm allowed to say that because I am a professional engineer, but there is this worry about being the engineer who's breaking ground with a new project, or a new technology and not getting it right. So I I think we've talked about education and focus. I think you've got to be willing to take some measured risk.
1: My takeaway is that this is the way of the future and the only way that customers, government, other people will to be better educated, but to understand the pricing signals that drive that this is the way to go and that we need very quickly to increase capacity because that's a problem almost in every sector that there isn't the, the skill set of the labor force coming back to the net zero emissions that this is something that has to be done. So I, I think uh, the message to government, which I think Daryl had mentioned, we we need to make sure that they fully comprehend that there's a big part that they need to play to actually help uh, facilitate set policy to make this stuff happen. And not stay stuck in the way that we've done things in the past, because that typically is what happens And I think, in North America. I don't think we have a lot of skill set and knowledge in the uh, energy industry in the political field, not like Europe, because we've had so much. So I, I think there's a great opportunity and the need for us to move on that. So I think I, think that I think- can... Sorry, overrunning there, but I think if I can add one thing,
4: one of the problems about the political knowledge and everything, and Daryl ha- has touched on it, we need politicians to think beyond the electoral cycle. <laughs> yes.
3: And even, I think to add to that as well, I think we need politicians who can think beyond their level of government as well. Yes, Canada is a very large country. We have federal oversight and then provincial oversight. And we have municipalities who are working very closely with their communities. And I think right now we are seeing the largest and most decisive action from municipalities who ultimately have the least power. Talk to any council person, you talk to any municipal staff and they're struggling. They're trying to find ways to creatively convince their, their constituents to start moving this way. And At the provincial level, like they handle a lot of things like energy, education. Those portfolios are really important. And I think there needs to be a lot of cohesion between and in cooperation between various levels of government in that way. So we're all kind of working towards the same goal. Thanks again, Darren and Daryl, for joining us today.
2: Thanks very much for having us.
4: Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an interesting time recording this podcast. Thank you.
0: That's all for today's episode of the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360 Energy Inc. Tune into our podcast on Apple Music and Spotify by searching the 360 on Energy and Carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360 Energy Inc. See you next week.